Is that an Indian mound in that St. Helens Cemetery? It was the beginning of the war. Okay. It was probably, I'd say, built just a few years before Boone came here. So many of those mounds have been torn down. Most of those mounds were built in the last couple of Indian areas in here, you know. And uh, they started those things as burial mounds, and uh, I've got some really gruesome pictures that came off some of the old pottery jars and stuff. They, some branches of Indians had this old guy that lived with the tribe, and his fingernails and toenails grew out fierce claws and stuff. And he was a sacred man, and they would, uh, after somebody had been dead, they'd leave him up the trees there for a few days, and then he'd come down there and break off the flesh off those bones, and they'd bury the bones in those mounds. But now there's some of those mounds that they, they stretch from the Mississippi Delta down in Louisiana all the way up into Minnesota. And uh, some of the mounds, when uh, the Spaniards and all first came here, had small pyramids on top of them. They were temples and what have you. But we don't know to what extent that uh, the ones in here were used because if you get up, you can see some of these things in the air. And uh, I've looked at some of those out there in Ohio, and you've got everything from it snake with an egg in its mouth to, they call them the serpent mounds. And mm -hmm. Now there's, uh, I'm pretty sure that if you uh, come down by Moortown, that you can look over there toward Moortown, over toward the river, and a house over there sitting over there, and I'm pretty sure that's an Indian mound that that was sitting on there. And but the house is still on? The house is still on. Is sitting on an Indian mound. They probably don't even realize it is a mound. Oh, now which house would it be? Uh, what was the Gabbard girl that I went to school with there? Uh, well, Pearl Gabbard. Pearl Gabbard. She was a And uh, there's one up at uh, Lost Creek in Breathitt County, just after you pass the school, up on the right there. And uh, there's, I think there's a big cabin built on top of it now. And but you don't realize, when you start thinking of mounds, trees and stuff grew up on these things, and they just looked like regular hills, you know, after that, and the hills of trees on them and everything else. But now, they buried layers and layers. The bigger the mound, the more longer that the Indians spent there. And, well, now, there's one in Alsa County, the Shepherd Cemetery, too, that's very, yeah, looks like that. Yeah. But that uh, Wilcox's grave, Boone's nephew, is right beside that mound, that small mound there. I've been up there. Is he? Is that one of the known oldest graves in Lee County, Wilcoxon? It probably is. That's marked? Yeah, there's just so many graves that uh, that are not marked. That's one of the reasons that I started writing stories years ago was because that there's so many stories have been forgotten. So many people buried in these graveyards, and uh, nobody knows when they are. And uh, a lot of that stuff was just handed down by word of mouth. But unfortunately, why well, most people didn't write it down? Oh, uh, they couldn't write. Do what? Most time they couldn't write. Well, that's <laughs> true. I know. There is at Pine Mountain Settlement School somewhere over. It's I think it's past. It, it might be Electric County, but I'm not sure. There's Indian mounds over there. At Pine Mountain Settlement School. You had, I've got a, a rock shelter up there on the ridge here right close to the home. The oldest recorded 
deed in Lee County. It includes that rock shelter there. It's the upper falls of Pedder's Fort. And uh, it was uh, deeded to Samuel Young, but Patrick Henry, the far brand of the American Revolution there. And that is the oldest recorded deed in Lee County. And that mound there, or not a mound, but that rock shelter there, I dug out years ago, I dug out a, a, a fire coal bed down, it was probably about three feet deep in there. And we got uh, University of Illinois to carbon date some of the charcoal come out of that stuff years and years ago. And uh, they estimated that it was probably anywhere from uh, about around 14,000 years old, something like that. And we had a couple there. We went one summer, I think we had another one that was about 10,500 years old. But now that doesn't mean that there was a big, heavy concentration in here. That doesn't mean you had the mammoth hunters coming through here and you might not have had 10 or 15 aborigines in the whole state at one time. But and after that, now when I was going to school, one of the things that always uh, uh, stands out in my mind, most of the school teachers were insistent that there had been no Indians living in Kentucky. Now, there was none here when Daniel Boone came here. They'd all moved out of here. There was some Chickasaws down on the Mississippi River. But the Shawnee, the last uh, main encampment of the Shawnees was down there at Indian Fields in Winchester, down there where they got that clover leaf. And they, uh, John Finley operated a trading post there around uh, 1749, to, uh, around 1751 or two. And, uh, they think that maybe the Shawnees moved out there and moved north of the Ohio around 1753. Now they came in here in camps and spent summer camps. I found artifacts and stuff at the bottom up there below my dad's place there, indicate a large camp in there at one time or another. But they lived, there was a few that come in, that you, you had small family groups that lived in those rock shelters. And they might live there, live out their life, maybe two or three generations. Okay, now you're talking about Daniel Boone's time, but prior to that there were Indians. Oh, prior to that, at the time of the mound builders, there was great concentrations of them in here. Now they know out of those mound builders at one time, uh, Cahokia, Illinois there, had a town there of over 40,000 Indians lived in there. So there was great groups of them living here, and you can tell I knew when, you know, the teachers told us they just wasn't even lived in here, it just didn't add up because I've been all over the place and uh, find you, find, you find too many artifacts, you yeah. know, and if, well, once you learn to time date those things, you can tell about what era. Now, these fellas will start blowing wind in your ear here about, oh, this was made by Cherokee, this was made by Cherokee, nobody knows that, but you can tell about what time period it belonged to that made an artifact. You can tell the design of it. But see, that is not even perfect because the Indians wasn't a bit above picking up an arrowhead here that somebody else left and, and reusing. But say, the bow and arrow wasn't even uh, used about 1,400 years ago or something, or about 1,400 years, I guess, before Boone and company come in here. The main weapon of the time was spears and atlatls. An atlatl was a throwing stick, and they used those things that had a hook on it like this, 
And they you learn to use a system of balances and weights. They throw that thing clean to a buffalo out here, you know. Develop great accuracy. Are you mean doing the artifacts? Yeah, I know we talk about them. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but the bow and arrow was a relatively recent invention. And when you stop and think about it, the arrowheads that you find out here, if you wander around out in the field, are little small triangular points, razor sharp. That's an arrowhead. You find something this long and that thick. You didn't put that on the end of an arrow, you go boop, right down the end of the boat. You didn't go very far. So, they use, they use blow guns. A lot of people don't realize that. The Indians use blow guns in there and uh, slings. Well, they made those antlers and, and spears. See, well, you could take a spear, you make your spear, and you put feathers on the back of it, like you was uh, putting on the shaft of an arrow. And you had this end, you, that thing probably would be six feet long, that spear. And you had a, a little hole reeled in the other end there where that hook would hang on that antler. And you could only carry two or three of them things you'd out here hunting. But you could carry a whole quiver of darts. They would make little short darts, about yay big here, and have a big point on it that long. And you just screwed it down in the end of that spear. When you chucked that thing at a deer or a bear, you wounded him and he wandered off with it. Up, but that, that dart would fall out of the main spear. You go down there, pick it up, stick you another one in there, and you're ready for bear again now. But they used those things for thousands of years before they ever thought about a bow and arrow in there. And most of those guys that was hunting the mammoth <coughs> didn't even have that one. It was just a matter of running up there and poking a gouging at that mammoth with a spear or digging a trap for him and letting him fall in it and beating him in the head with rocks. Kind of rough business, the way rough way they live. <laughs> okay, now. Uh, you're moving, you're from Brains Branch, your family. How, was there a man named Blaine that lived there? I always wonder how people, uh, some of these know. places got their name. Blaine's oh, Branch, Pawpaw, were Pawpaw trees growing there? Um, I know how Fixer got its name. But, uh, yeah, how but did Kellen, you... Kellen, I know, but okay. Kellen, yeah. Well, my great-grandfather, Sim Crabtree, came... He inherited, well, after the Civil War, actually the Northerners were kind to a certain extent to the Southerners who lost the war, of course. So he homesteaded all that land over around Fixer. And they were very, very poor. Now, he was a tiny little man, and his wife, Elizabeth, was even tinier. And I have pictures of all of them. And um, he came in here and homesteaded, settled this land, and he sent for her, and she came over here on a horse with a young son. Uh, they only had one boy, and they had four or five, five girls that later. But uh, the Jim Booth was born at that time, and she came, and another, one other person with her on a horse with all of her belongings from uh, Virginia, through Pennington Gap, and followed creek beds till she came to fix her. And... Uh, he, uh, they struck oil. They were as poor as church mice because even when my dad was a young boy, they, they wrapped feed sacks. They didn't have shoes. They wrapped feed sacks around their feet and then they'd tie, you know, twine or something to hold them on. He and my Aunt Maudie, they were the two oldest. And um, 
So Sam Crabtree, who um, must have been a character, but anyway, they struck oil over there. People started moving in to fix her. Or it wasn't fixed at the time. They started moving on little and big sinking and to work in these oil fields. And so Sim Crabtree thought, well, we need a post office. And so he wrote the government, or he had someone to write the government because he did not write. And uh, and he got the government wrote back and said, well, you have to think of a name. And so they would send a name in, and the government would send it, no, we already have a place in Kentucky named that, and then they'd send another name in. And after this went on three or four times, he said, okay, we're going to write them back and say you can just fix her yourselves. <laughs> so that's what they named it, fix her. <laughs> okay. Sounds like post Yeah. <laughs> so it's called Fixer. But it was a big, thriving community at one time over there, even when I was a kid. Okay. You know. Neil Wimble came in the other day and I don't know if I want to copy the pictures here for the calendars, and his mother <coughs> kept a scrapbook of all of those uh, Ashland Oil Christmas parties and stuff like that, and uh, those were well-attended events and stuff. Well, Maybe they were big-name big like people. Yeah, they, I mean, they even had Barnum and Bailey there to entertain the Well, yeah, I mean, my, of course, Uncle Lathy would always get tickets for me to go to these, and like I remember one year they had all these acrobats that were here one week for the Christmas show and the next week they were on the Ed Sullivan show. So I mean these were these were well-known well, acts at the she time. Had, she had, has pictures of all of them. I've it's seen that. Isn't that fascinating? Amazing. Just to look at it. Yeah. She'd even kept her tickets and everything. You know. She was a, an organizer. I mean she kept everything organized. She kept lazy organized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was a he was a great guy, and so was she. You know, they. Uh, Alma. She was Alma King. Yeah. Now she was a sister to Finley Booth's mother. Finley's mother. Aunt Moni. Molly. Moni, yeah. Yeah. Who played the piano at the little? And there church. was those Faulkners. They were a bunch of Faulkners. Okay. I mean, Ashton Oil really treated their employees well. Now, I taught school over there, and I was young, really young, and those men from the plant, one of them would manage to come by the school every day. There was a whale right up there, to, supposedly, to watch it pump or whatever, but they wanted to know that everything was all right. So if I quit, they had to manage to get their children up to the top of the hill and out to the road. So that's really good to me, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to get me to stay. Well, I liked it and they were good, but they would have been a chore to get children from down at Mall Rock up and up to Fixer Hill and out to the highway. Yeah. But they were very cooperative, you know, very good. Well, my mamma Booth, I can just, when I think of her, I think of, first of all, she always had a black cloth tied around her head because she always had a headache. And she had a misfitity bag that she put medicine in, she hung around her neck. But I would go over there and stay all night. Actually, I thought it was kind of spooky and fix her at night. And uh, because the wolves and would howl and 
the, you could hear the clank, 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 clank of those pumps and it echo of those hollers. I thought it was kind of scary myself for a little kid. It, it you still know. is scary. Not a scary. I get out of there before dark. Lily, <laughs> <laughs> you're wearing an affinity bag. Huh? You wore an affinity oh, bag. Oh, no, no, but my mama did. Now, they wore those things to ward off uh, colds and flus and all that sort of stuff, and they worked. Yeah, and you know why they work? Ain't on. nobody comes in 20 feet. <laughs> 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 they stuck so bad. When I was growing up, I had two neighbors, and they wore them right there. Well, they, they actually, there was some stuff that came out in a bottle, because I've got a couple of bottles. Well, I think when I was up at the museum there, it was an acidity maker. I don't know what kind of foul concoction was in there. I know that uh, they used uh, uh, some of the sap from what they called, it was a Lombardi poplar. They called it Bob Gilly tree back in those days. It was supposed to have certain healing qualities anyway, but now there was a patent medicine that come out in a bottle. An old cork stopper type bottle and it says acidity right on the bottle, but that stuff had a terrible stench. Well it, it really did. I mean when I think of her I can smell that. And see of course she had her head tied up in that white thing with her that cloth all the time. But she would say to me you know, I was a fat little, I'm still a fat little scrapper, but she'd say, when we go over there, she'd say, Lawsy mercy, honey, come over here. You're just getting so fleshy. And I would think, she's so fleshy. And I'd say, I associate with that smell. You didn't give her many hugs, did you? Huh? You didn't give your grandma many hugs, did you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I really did. I mean, I did. I loved her and everything, but I just associated, you know, the sense of smell. It's so connected to our memories. Yes. Dave, some of my favorite stories and uh, mountain traditions and everything revolve around those home remedies. And I'm going to tell you something. From the research I've done, everything most kids grew up in spite of the treatment they got from the dog. Everybody. The first miracle drug was castor oil. It didn't make any difference what you had. How come the castor oil? You'd have a broken leg and that stuff would come out and you'd jump up and run. <laughs> but the thing is that that castor oil, a beating from that castor plant would kill elephants. So you can imagine what the effect that had on your system. It turned you inside out. And it has been, Lord have mercy, I guess it's been close to six, 65 years or better since I was done that stuff. I can still remember it just like it yesterday. And my mother let that stuff in and she'd give me orange to suck or a drink of orange juice with it. I detested orange juice for years because of that. And it was just a shape better than the worm medicine that they gave me to it. But it worked. Now, one of the favorite, my favorite means of treatment there was uh, this, uh, if you had what they call the thrash back then, if you had a sore throat, you had to thrash. And they'd round up some old goober out here, he was supposed to be seventh son of a seventh son. Uh, and he'd smoke, he'd blow down your throat and all that sort of stuff. And when I was just a small kid up in Fleming Neon, we had this old guy come through there. He had a hawk bill nose, I'm telling you, like you wouldn't believe, and had a hook for a hand. 
Us kids to see him come, we took that high off the ground and take off him. I mean, he was terrifying, just look at him. But you can imagine the fence a kid to throw and uh, people to hold their kids down, let this character blow down their throats and all that kind of stuff. And they believed it. And sometimes it worked. They believed it strongly enough, it worked. I think sometimes you got the better spider treatment you got. Well, now, did uh, medicine men come to town? I mean, shysters? Do any of y'all remember anything? Well, those pet medicine people travel all the time, in fact. We still had those things up into the 50s that I know you'd have these Raleigh sales with yes. people like that. They'd, they'd pack peddlers and stuff, they'd go up these hollers and they'd have a well, Raleigh stuff Raleigh. was good stuff. Raleigh was good stuff. It was good you stuff. You had Raleigh, you had Porters, you Raleigh's. had, oh, they sold them watching you. They sold us, they sold uh, flavoring for cooking and stuff. That's vanilla, that's the best vanilla flavor ever. And then there was Jewel Tea. Remember Jewel yes, Tea? Yeah. That was good tea. Well, the real good tea was the sheep dip tea. Huh? Huh. Yeah. Now, well, I was a lot. Sheep dip tea. Oh, they took sheep manure and boil that stuff. Well, and they gave that to their kids to make a measles break out. And that sort of thing. They yeah, I remember that, but I never did. I, that, I never heard of that. I, I was told that I got that when I was little. Well, sheep dip, is it made out of sheep, sheep manure, right? And they boil it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do they do with it? They, they boil, boil it. Strain it. Strain it. Can you have to drink it? And that, that wasn't just around here thing. My wife or my wife father told me about he was grown when he had his last dose of sheep <laughs> Why would anybody give that to their kids? You're thinking in two thousand and seventeen. You weren't thinking it in two thousand or in one thousand nineteen thirty six or forty five or something like that. You'd be amazed at how little medical care that people actually had back then. But I tell you one thing that did work. In the summer, your children would get stub their toe or get cut or something, and they would have red streaks to run up from that. You'd get peach tree leaves and fry them in the meal, you know, kind of, and make a poultice. And put on that, and that red streak would diminish, and it would take the swelling down. I believe in that. Also, a lot of poultices, a lot of natural ingredients. I mean, people treated wounds and stuff with uh, plants, yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I believe in vinegar and brown paper. It really, headaches, yeah. it really works. It's if you stand the smell. You re it really does work. I mean, I have sprained my ankle before and wrapped it in brown, uh, dipped brown paper in vinegar and wrapped it and then put a uh, plastic bag over it. And the next day it's just fine. Uh -huh. Yeah, it works. I remember some of those old time remedies and I remember the medical treatment we got too, too well. This young lady here was kind enough to send me a copy picture of a hospital up in Plymouth Neon. I was, I was six years old. They took my tonsils out and they did not put me to sleep in there. Can you imagine doing that to a six-year-old kid? And, uh, and I had to have it done again. I had to have it done a second time. Well, how many tonsils did you have? Too many. I mean. <laughs>